coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss XOXO revisiting the OG Thread Actor supergroup, pinging down the house, and The Matrix Unloaded, encrypted messaging project Matrix, suffers extensive cyber attack. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 10, recorded on April 15th, 2019. I'm your co-host, Kelsey LaBelle, with me, co-host Emily Five, Hoodies Hacker, and last but not least, Helming. Don't take that tone with me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tim, the joke was tone deaf. Um, that was Morris code for Tim, right? Thank Did I butcher you. that? Thank you. Uh, it was pretty close. It was pretty, it was pretty close. close. Yeah. Pretty good. In other words, wrong. In other words, <laughs> what's a nice way to say no? <laughs> no, no, it was pretty good. You know, I just wanted to start episode 10 with something special. And what is more special than Morris code and Chewbacca howling with angst? You know, what we should Almost do in the thing. blog version of this, we should make it episode Roman numeral 10 so that people don't really know if they should call it episode X or episode 10 Good until idea. they listen. Yes. And then they'll know. Yes, it's true. Like with Apple, what with the phone, right? They, I'm still they want not sure. Are they calling it X? I think or they 10? want people to say ten, but they don't. They say X. X. Except some of them. But say they say X. X. Yeah. iPhone X sounds way like, cooler. Sorry, like, Apple. iPhone <laughs> X. People are going to say what they say. People are going to say what they're going to say. So if you want to call this episode X, you can. That's a, we officially. I think can we. We give you permission. Uh, yeah. Give to, permission to, to do that. what feels right. There if you, you think it deserves to be named episode X, I think you should use that if you feel so inclined. Nice. Let's earn episode X team. <laughs> X team? What? X team. Oh, I should make a movie about that. <laughs> anyway, okay, so <laughs> moving on to our first article, um, XOX Stuxnet. So um, let's just lead into this the proper way, shall we? Domain Tools here, your one and only source into the scandalous lives of InfoSex Elite. Where have they been? Stuxnet. And who am I? That's one secret I'll never tell. XOXO. Gossip Girl. That, folks, was, was amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never thought I'd have to Google Gossip Girl intro. Here, I just thought you kind of knew it by memory. I no. honestly thought you sat down and we were just like <laughs> pulling this in, from it. Like, finally, my finally, knowledge yes. came to fruition. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment. And thousands of people listening to this could have thought the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But sure. you, you called yourself out. Oh, well. <laughs> 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 anyway, okay, the important part of this article, outside of my um, expansive knowledge of the CW show, um, is Chronicle's blog, which dug into an important question, which is, who is Gossip Girl? Um, of course, not referring to the show Gossip Girl, but a threat actor group slash campaign. And so I want to kick this over, actually, to Emily uh, to summarize the article and the intent or goal of this particular blog post. Yeah. So this was a really interesting blog post, in my opinion, um, not only because of where they broke down who they believe the Gossip Girl threat actor is, but because of this concept of the um, supra threat actor. And it's S-U-P-R-A, I don't know supra. how to pronounce that, <laughs> but in the world of InfoSec, we often read things and never have to speak them aloud, and then when we do, we sound like fools. <laughs> so let's just go with supra. In I feel like a lot of times in private threat and tell, we fall into a trap of 
pigeonholing uh, threat actor attribution into like uh, a certain country or or known threat actor bucket. Like, and I, you know, love threat actors, I love APTs, but and so I do this too, where we might say, oh, that campaign was associated with Russia, or oh, that was APT ten, so it was China or whatever. But that totally excludes the fact that these threat actors maybe at times are multi-organization or like cross-country. They're cross-functional, <laughs> Cross-functional. You know? They really are trying. Um, Breaking out of those silos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to help themselves be the best they can be. And um, so this, the supra-threat actor concept opens that up a lot and allows for maybe threat actors who can be from, like I said, multiple countries or organizations. So I think that's good. It tears down some potential bias walls um, when we're doing investigations or whatever I think it's it might be common to to get to a point and say something like oh I recognize this I know then that this is associated with Russia like tied up with a bow end of story done and maybe this is a good opportunity to kind of rethink that mindset and think like oh I found this evidence that points to Russia let's see if I find any evidence that points to additional you know threat actors or or groups working together so just a good um, this blog post was a good reminder to um, be really thorough in your investigations and introducing this concept of the super threat actor is just a really good way of doing that more specifically though the blog post did indeed talk about um, gossip girl which is the super threat actor that they were talking about so the um, analyst in this case took a slide an older slide from the CSCC the Cybersecurity Education Consortium presentation that had a list of known threat actor names and there was a few of them but the one that they were focusing on was Gossip Girl. Um, later in the presentation there was another slide that had a screenshot with some alert names like excuse me alerts that had popped up and they discovered that the alerts were acronymed to coincide with the threat actors from the first slide that they had showed. So GG they realized was Gossip Girl. Um, and that alert was associated with the malware known as Flame. So this sparked Flame. Pun spark. intended. Oh, <laughs> she's on fire. Uh, but all right. <laughs> sparked um, their whole kind of investigation into who Gossip Girl was. It is a pretty in-depth <laughs> investigation, but the long short of it is that they realized that this was associated with probably at least four different threat actor groups and that not all of them are known to have previously worked together. So they realized that um, this was associated with Dooku, which um, was associated with Stuxnet. There's other, like the like I mentioned, Flame malware, um, Flower Shop malware, all these different malware variants and threat actors that had been previously seen as separate entities mm. were starting to be tied together um, because of the, just from that, starting from that one alert. Point. So by tearing down kind of the mindset of, oh, well, this one threat actor is associated with this one thing, and this one threat actor is associated with this one thing, right. they realized that they were actually able to tie several of them together and see this much larger, like, threat actor web that, um, yeah. It, threat web. A threat web. Um, that's what they should have called it. But, <laughs> yeah, to, to really show how complex all of these campaigns are, so... That's really fascinating and a great reminder to think about, again, these threat actors as people and not just these adjunct siloed missions, if you will. Exactly. Um, and always a good reason to stay on top of sharing threat intel within um, your industries, et cetera. I mean, clearly it's happening on the other side of the playing field. So mm -hmm. 
Tim, do you have anything you want to add to this conversation about a gossip girl? Well, uh, Emily, you summarized it really well, and it's a complicated thing. I would definitely recommend, if people are, are at all interested, look this up and find the Chronicle blog post. They did a really good job with this, and it's very complicated, and you'll see that you know, as they describe what they did, they found themselves um, in their investigations sort of metaphorically running into dead ends, coming back upon things that they had already seen before. And uh, so they, uh, they really had to spend a lot of time and energy to kind of disentangle all these different uh, interrelated parts of this. Um, but I think they did a good job with that, and I agree that their concept of sort of a super threat actor, whenever somebody introduces a concept like that in the field, there's the question of will it stick or not? And a year from now, are we going to be, is super threat actor going to be kind of common parlance, or will it just be something that Chronicle keeps using? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, their goal of getting people to rethink how they conceptualize some of these more um, complicated actor groups is a really good one. And probably some analysts are kind of doing forehead slaps now going, okay, <laughs> things are now going to get harder because I used to be able to just say, I think this is this actor and I'm, and that's good enough for me. And this is kind of saying, well, maybe that's not good enough and you need to think more broadly. But I think it's going to make us better collectively in the end. So... Um, definitely recommend taking a look at that post. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting thinking about it in terms of if you're working with, you know, as uh, someone on, let's say, the U.S. government in some way, shape, or form, those nuances become incredibly important. But if you're working um, in an organization where your goal is to keep your network safe and secure, then the answer, you might have enough information to just say, I know this is associated with badness. Let's, you know block this IP. So it's kind of interesting that nuance may or may not be important depending on what type of work you're doing as well. Very true. Very true. If you're a network defender, um, you know, it always comes down to what kind of permissions are supposed to be happening, right? Should right. this traffic be allowed or denied? Should mm -hmm. this IP be allowed to hit my servers or not? And so forth. So in some ways, um, it, this can be a big distraction and threat actor attribution can be a big distraction. But there are certain people for whom that's the whole goal. Right. It just doesn't happen to be most InfoSec pros, but that's. Um, but for the ones whose job is to do this, um, this gives a lot of good food for thought. Definitely. Well, on that note, then let's go ahead and move into the hoodie rating. Um, and Tim, I'll start with you. What would you rate this at? So this is an interesting one to rate because it's not really a specific event here. This is more like you know Chronicle is proposing this framework and so the actor groups that they're talking about in it are pretty sophisticated so taken collectively I guess the Gossip Girl Supra actor um, is kind of an ongoing baseline six or seven or eight hoodies somewhere in there let's say seven because that was right in the middle of that <laughs> but that means that there will be certain things they can carry out it's individual attacks that probably are like more hoodies than that and other ones that might be lower. So as a group, they have a fairly advanced capability. So I'd say kind of seven as just a baseline. Okay. What about you, Emily? Yeah, I was struggling as well trying to figure out how to rate this because it um, it's not a singular event and all of the kind of events tied to this are, are in the past, quite, quite a bit in the past. And so um, 
and if you if you take into context like timeliness, relevance, and stuff, it it drops a little bit. But this is a like Tim said, a um, very capable threat actor. So I think it just comes down to what do you rate nation state espionage in general mm-hmm. and so in that i kind of agree I, I would probably put it lower than a seven maybe like a five or a six no a six because i don't want to be emily five hoodies <laughs> <laughs> let me update your bio <laughs> um but yeah this was this one's a little it's a little different from what we normally do it doesn't fall neatly on the hoodie scale just because it's not like um this fishing campaign is going on right now and let's mm-hmm. talk about the uh, events surrounding it. Like, it's not like that, so it's a little different. Interesting. Yes, thank you for highlighting the nuance there of the hoodie rating. Um, That's definitely a fascinating, again, conversation, so we'll keep an eye, and everyone should definitely go check out that blog. Um, They chronicled it quite well, um, if I do say so. Thank you. Um, And with that pun, another pun. Um, Our second topic today is pinging down the house. Um, So in this article, researchers have found that uh, the HTML feature called hyperlink auditing or pings is being used to perform DDoS attacks against various sites. So for starters, Tim, what is this feature really used for or usually used for, I should say, and basically how is it applied in this situation for nefarious purposes? Sure. This is a uh, tracking feature. It essentially lets the operator of the website track where visitors are clicking, what they're, what they're visiting. So it literally does audit what's happening on particular uh, links during site visits. And you asked how it was applied for nefarious purposes. Well, some people who are privacy advocates would say it, its whole point in life was <laughs> nefarious yeah, purposes because true. a lot of people don't want to be tracked, right, for understandable reasons. But, um, and in fact, actually an interesting thing about hyperlink auditing is it was proposed as part of HTML, HTML5, and it actually was not officially adopted. But that didn't stop a lot of uh, website coders from using it. Uh, so that brings us to where we are today. That's great context. And before we walk into the actual DDoS, uh, the DDoS attack, excuse me, maybe we can explain what happens when the user clicks on the link. No, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but. This is a particular kind of of tracking link. And I'll say at the outset, this is far from the only way that sites have to track users. And uh, in fact, this is probably not the most common one. Um, There are a lot of ways to do that uh, in JavaScript, which are, in fact, harder to detect or to beat than uh, hyperlink auditing. But this happens to be useful for these actors in a particular way, as we'll find out in a second. So the research by Imperva found that HTML pings are being used by attackers to perform those DDoS, uh, to perform DDoS across multiple sites. So how would these attacks work? There are parts of this that um, are easily described and then parts of it that they don't know that much about. So Imperva just saw that the DDoS traffic and the sources that it came from. So they can't really know how the cycle of this all began, but their hypothesis is that it was a combination of social engineering and malvertising, which would get users to visit a site that has this hyperlink auditing turned on, and then in the background, the browser just starts quote-unquote clicking it, um, hitting that link uh, apparently once per second. 
And so if you multiply that behavior by a few million users, you have quite a lot of, of DDoS firepower. Actually, at this point, I don't think they have millions of users. Um, they uh, describe something like 4,000 IP addresses that they saw, but um, it's conceivable that the reach of this could be bigger than that. Absolutely. Something I always like to think about when we're talking about DDoS is we had an employee here once that decided to DOS um, another employee. They were on a conference call um, with an important person in a room once, and he decided, this person, excuse me, decided to throw in a screaming monkey from a trade show while this person was on the phone. So then he, this person described to me that if we really wanted to DDoS them, we would all have the screaming monkeys and at the same Correct. time toss them at this person. So a really important nuance there yeah. between DOS and DDoS. How many monkeys? How many nuance. screaming monkeys are there? <laughs> too many. Too many. Already one say. is too many. They're a very interesting <laughs> having, sound. Having had kids that had one of those <laughs> at one point in time, I can say one is probably more than enough. <laughs> And speaking of the scope, I know, Tim, you already mentioned that um, there were about 4,000 IPs um, that were impacted. Did, was it 70 million requests? Yeah, what they over a four-hour period uh, at Imperva, they saw about 4,000 IP addresses and um, combined over that time about 70 million of these ping requests. Um, the targets of these seemed mainly to be gaming sites, they thought, and if you've studied DDoS for sale crime at all, um, that turns out to be what the target is pretty often. So a few years ago, I was doing some uh, adversary infrastructure investigations in Iris on a DDoS for sale campaign. And uh, so I found a bunch of sites that were controlled by the same actor and they had very similar names. Um, and what I found were just the commercial aspect of it, kind of the front end for, hey, come buy our DDoS services. They weren't the technical or C2 or anything part like that. So I don't know what method they were using at that point in time to carry out uh, the attacks. And, you know, in the world of cybercrime, sometimes uh, they will just pocket your money and not actually do the thing that they said they were going to do, like give you back the key to your ransom encrypted files. Um, but... At any rate, I was not surprised to see that gaming seemed to be the target in this particular case. Hmm. That's curious. Emily, do you have any thoughts on this particular article? Yeah, so this is, um, I think, interesting in a few different ways. I, one of the ones that's interesting to me is, you know, you were talking about the screaming monkeys, and I think in this case it's interesting that the, the people throwing the monkeys did not realize they were throwing the monkeys, so it was, like, completely unwitting. I just... That kind of sucks, you know? <laughs> Which I think is not necessarily uh, uncommon, but it's just, like, it's interesting to think, you know, these people are just using, in this case, it was WeChat, and they um, become part of this, like, larger problem, so. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, in this case, it seemed to be a lot of them were mobile devices, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe, maybe even all of them. Um, but uh, we've seen the same thing happen with, ordinary desktop computers, right. and of course with Mirai, exactly. it was baby monitors and webcams and, and other, yeah, so it's... But this was it, like, wasn't it like, and stop me if I'm wrong, but with this one, it was, it was a lot of malvertising or something, so the users were clicking and then going to the browser, and like, so they were like, 
willingly unwitting participants. Yeah, they, they knew Mariah, that they were... Just took over your device. Correct. They had to do something to sort of start the process, but then they didn't realize what was going on in the background mm -hmm. after it was started. Yeah, so that's where there was a social engineering aspect to it. They, they were thinking that probably uh, the actor would uh, invite people to a group chat where the link uh, was embedded somewhere, and that might be what kicked it off. That's interesting. Yeah. What? So I know that a big impact, or a, one of the main reasons this occurred is because of the browser features. Are browsers doing anything to help protect the users? Uh, well, this is a tough part of this. They're not really doing that much, and it's actually getting worse. Um, because <laughs> up till now, um, browsers have tended to include a setting that would disable hyperlink auditing. There are upcoming versions of Chrome and Edge and Safari and Opera that are all planning to stop allowing users to turn this off. So <laughs> let's raise a glass here to Firefox, who is still allowing this. Uh, thank you, Mozilla. Um, <laughs> still allowing us to turn off hyperlink auditing. And I, I do wonder, though, if this story might cause any of those others to have second thoughts about this. Um, if you have one of those browsers uh, and you're concerned about this, Probably your best bet is to look for add-ons or extensions that disable hyperlink auditing. And I did some digging around on this, and I, f I will say that it's been hard to find out definitively if some of the really well-known extensions like Adblocker Plus or Ghostery or Privacy Badger actually do disable um, hyperlink auditing. Interestingly, I saw at least one very new GitLab project whose whole purpose in life seems to be to disable this kind of uh, tracking. That was just Friday, uh, the 12th, right after this story broke. So you're probably going to see a little bit more about that. But, um, but it's a little bit hard to know right now exactly how to defeat this unless you're crafty enough to you know, kind of create your own scripting, um, your, your own extension in your browser, which isn't honestly, most of us. Hmm. With that in mind, what would you rate it, this particular piece? Yeah, this is interesting. So, uh, you know, normally people would think about these anti-tracking things more as a privacy issue than a security issue, but the, um, the target for the pingback certainly could be a malware dropper or something like that. That does not seem to be what was going on in this case because they were being used for DDoS, but that doesn't mean it couldn't be used in that way. Um, but in this case, um, it was uh, really a DDoS. So if you're one of those gaming sites, well, it's perhaps, you know, a lot of hoodies. If you're the people whose phones were being co-opted for this, it's really not very many, at least in terms of this specific attack. So it's hard to pin it on this one. I don't know. I'd probably put this at about a two. I, I don't think it's real high from a security risk standpoint. And that would only change if we see malicious use of hyperlink auditing down the road for things like putting malware droppers out there. What do you think, Emily? Yeah, I agree. I was going to go with the three, but I could, you know, also be talked down to a two. I think um, the... You don't have to. You just own that three. It's a own ten. that three. Fifteen. <laughs> um, buy new hoodies. Buy new hoodies. No, I was going to say three just because the the... For the users, the unwitting participants in this DDoS, um, I don't think this is affecting them very much yet. And from a a, a DDoS e standpoint, um, I I think this was a relatively low amount of 
uh, requests. And so if you have like any DDoS protection, like this would have held up against it and it really wouldn't have been that big of a deal. So um, this particular incident is on the lower end, like a two or a three. But okay. um, like Tim said, if this changes, if they find a way to bump it up, that even bump the DDoS up to a, some level that is much more difficult to um, defend against or protect against, then that might raise the number in the future. Okay. Yeah, it's true that the numbers they saw in this one are just a drop in the bucket compared to something like Mirai. Mm -hmm. Right. But who knows, maybe this was just a, a little test drive for something bigger. Right. Um, I don't know. But the thing is, if that were to be the case, you would see the browser uh, folks, I think, change their plans real quick and, mm -hmm. and you would see the ability to turn this off. Absolutely. And switching gears to our last discussion point today, speaking of privacy, um, our final article is The Matrix Unloaded, um, an ode to Emily and her love for the Matrix trilogy. Um, so Matrix is an organization behind an open source project that offers a protocol for secure and decentralized real-time communication. So they suffered a massive cyber attack after unknown attackers gained access to the servers, hosting its official website and data. <laughs> Rot row. That's not great. Um, <laughs> Emily, can you recount this attack? Yes. So on um, 13th of March, uh, attackers were able to exploit a vulnerability in matrixes, matrices? <laughs> matrices, um, Jenkins automation server, um, which allowed the attackers to um, hijack credentials for their production environment, um, which is not great, <laughs> which is pretty bad, actually. And um, the what the attackers were then able to do is gain access to databases that contained information, including um, password hashes, access tokens, and unencrypted message data. So that is bad enough in and of itself, um, but there's a couple of other things around it as well. So um, Matrix logged all users out of the service um, because the password hashes had been compromised. So they um, told users to reset their password and then logged them all out. Um, and what that means, based on the way that Matrix works, is that if the users had not backed up their conversations, their message history was lost. So hmm. for some people that might not matter, but I could see that being a pretty big issue for some people if they were counting on Matrix to not do that. Um, the story doesn't end there. The same or potentially different attackers then later used Cloudflare API um, key to redirect the DNS uh, entry for matrix.org to a defacement website. And Matrix came out and said that they had known that that key was actually in the original compromised data, but it hadn't been changed. They had rotated their personal keys, but that one had not been rotated. And so it was a um, an accidental oversight on on Matrix's part that led to this later defacement. Um, but I mean, anyone who's worked in incident response knows that when you're cleaning up from an incident, things like that happen. And I, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, having your website temporarily deface is not the worst thing that can accidentally happen in, in the, uh, the wake of an incident like this, um, especially considering the severity of the incident to begin with. So according to Matrix, everything uh, now has been fixed and, you know, once you reset your Matrix password, you're good to go um, without your message history. Uh, but it's just kind of sucks uh, for them and for people that use Matrix, um, especially since the vulnerability existed in their Jenkins server, so it wasn't 
it's not like the attackers got in through Matrix somehow. It, I mean, the vulnerability management is such a big area in um, cybersecurity that's kind of easy to overlook or get behind on, and that's that's where people fall short. So, got your stuff. Got your stuff. It sounds like Matrix Matrix is responding to the attack in the best way that they can. For sure. Yeah. I also really uh, liked that Matrix was being pretty open about it. Um, They released a really detailed, in my opinion, blog post um, that gave um, in-depth explanation as to what had happened, how the attack occurred, what information was compromised, um, a timeline, and um, I think that is the way that all (laughs) cyber incidents should be handled because if companies try to cover it up or just, you know, they only send their users a password reset email but don't explain why, like, that's that's a little slimy. Mm-hmm. And I think Matrix handled this in a really good way, saying, hey, we're owning up, this is what happened, here's what happened to your data, you know, we're sorry, and we're going to try and prevent this in the future. I think that they handled it pretty well. Yeah. Well, that leads us pretty well into the, um, the final bit here, which is the hoodie ratings. Um, so, Tim, I'll start with you. What would you rate this particular attack? Well, this again is a little bit, like right during the middle of it, it was uh, comparatively high, but as Emily said, Matrix handled it really well. And um, by the way, this is the second time in pretty recent memory that we saw a really good example of how a company, you know, how to handle incident response and communication to the public well. The other one was that um, uh, mm. Norse uh, company that uh, was the oh, industrial yeah. company yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, that, that handled their, the um, their ransomware uh, attack really well. Um, so uh, I would say overall, you know, the, the worst part of this has passed, so the hoodie, ra- hoodie rating is, is low. Um, it's probably like two or three uh, again. Um, but it was elevated there for a little while until things got locked down. What do you think, Emily? Um, I think if you're a user of Matrix, this might be a little higher for you personally. I don't know exactly off the top of my head what unencrypted message data means in this list of things here that was um, obtained by the threat actor. If that is... Like, maybe metadata or something. Yeah, metadata, that's a little bit lower, but if they have any way of maybe getting their hands on messages, that might bump it up. Um, I don't know what's included in the metadata, so if that includes, you know, recipient, that might even be something that some users don't want For sure. out there. Yeah. So as a, I'm not actually a user of Matrix, but if someone were a user of Matrix, I could see this being something that concerns them more in the, I was gonna say above five for those people, mm-hmm. um, maybe like a six. But in the in the the threat landscape, maybe this is a little bit lower, like a four. So averaging those two out, five. I see you typing and racing, <laughs> typing and racing. I keep giving you, but it's just it's it's difficult because it depends on the perspective, you know. Absolutely. Like for some people, this is like, oh, that happened. You know, Matrix handled it really well. It was a, a Jenkins vulnerability. I'm sure they've patched now, and they move on with life, and so it's lower. But for someone whose message data was taken and still is in the hands of the threat actor, this is mm-hmm. like, holy crap, yep. this is bad. So it's just it's all about perspective. I Absolutely. now want someone to write a novel called The Jenkins Flaw. <laughs> that sounds really legit. Mm-hmm. I think you should write that <laughs> in Morris code. <laughs> <laughs> 
That'll take me 150 years. <laughs> Start now. Yeah. Start now. Yeah. See you in 2169. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln will be. <laughs> Still dead. Still dead. Maybe I, not. Yeah, maybe maybe not. It'll be like a Futurama when they have the heads in the... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very important. I almost wonder if we need to start adding, like, you know, when local television segments have those, like, cute, positive things that they do at the end of yeah. episodes. The human interest the stories. The human interest stories. You have a great human interest voice, Tim. That was a compliment if you're asking yourself that question. Now let's you have a great human voice. That's not what you said. But you sound really human, Tim. Let's find out how one Seattle company deals with bunnies in the workplace. <laughs> that was amazing. Let's hop to it. <laughs> I know you were joking, but your voice makes me want to know how one Seattle company deals with money. Yeah, tell us, Tim. (laughs) I have no idea. That's over to you, Kelsey. (laughs) Now with the weather. Still raining. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, you're right. We need some kind of like, we need to end on a high note every time instead That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at blog.domaintools.com. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.